Fano, Fano, how are we going? I do hope you're uh, going well, going well, and hello also to those uh, tuning in online uh, a little later. Hey, I want to begin this morning by uh, throwing a little shout out um, to the wonderful Sarah Newton. Many of you will know Sarah. Um, she isn't actually in the room. I think she's downstairs with the Takahe, uh, as she is many uh, weeks of the year. Uh, so she actually is going to miss this, but um, I thought I'd do it anyway. Uh, but amongst the many things that she does, she um, does a bunch of our graphic design work at St. Augustine's. You would have seen a bunch of it around, including um, some of our um, teaching series artwork. And if I'm honest, uh, when I first saw uh, this design, I, I didn't quite get it. And uh, of course, it looks nice, it looks good, um, but I knew being Sarah, it would be um, laced with significance and meaning, all of which was completely lost on me uh, the first time I saw it. So helpfully, she did explain it to me, and I thought I'd just pass a little bit of that on this morning as we get going. So just in case, like me, you missed it, um, this design, um, and uh, so our Listening to God uh, teaching series, is, uh, was actually designed as a pair of designs with an earlier teaching series we did in the beginning of the year um, called Listening to Scripture. I don't know if you can remember that. And uh, both of these uh, designs uh, are actually based on paintings by the New Zealand painter Colin McCann. And uh, the design for Listening to Scripture uh, was based on a series of paintings of waterfalls, which he uh, did most likely of waterfalls from West Auckland. Um, during the 1960s. And the whole idea here was referencing um, the streams of living water, which were a big part of that central image in Psalm 1, which we did during that series, if you can remember um, back to that. And then, um, and then the inspiration for our Listening to God teaching series comes from um, McCann's 14 Stations of the Cross, uh, which again are um, based on this waterfall um, imagery. Uh, these were painted in 1966. So hopefully there's a little bit of a backdrop there that might connect up a few dots for you. It did for me at least. And um, hopefully now you also might just see that little connection to the woman staring at the waterfall in that intro video. I love all this stuff, the way things can kind of connect up. I know that would have been lost on many people, but hopefully now um, I love all that stuff. So nice work, um, um, Sarah. Um, McCann's Waterfall Stations of the Cross actually uh, also does loosely kind of reference this um, a particular conversation, a special conversation had by two friends um, on the road to Emmaus. And that's going to be um, the story that we're going to be focusing in on uh, today together. So uh, we're going to listen to the story now. Joanne is going to come and read uh, this for us. And as she comes, this story is um, it's the very last chapter of Luke's Gospel. Um, it's a very special conversation. It takes place um, the day Sorry, the day, just days after um, Jesus' crucifixion. And it's the very same day, of course, that uh, the woman brought spices to Jesus' tomb. They find uh, the stone has been rolled away. Every time I say that, I want to start singing. Um, and, um, and the body is nowhere to be found. And, of course, they rush back to tell the apostles. The apostles just don't believe a word that they're saying. So um, here's Joanne with The Road to Emmaus. Today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 24, verses 13 to 32. On the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, 
What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Joanne. So, guys, here's the thing. According to the Bible, uh, you have been made to walk and talk with God. Your Father in heaven is inviting you to walk and talk with Him in a relaxed, unhurried, uh, daily conversation, just like Adam and Eve in Eden. In fact, the primary reason you were born is to enjoy a conversational friendship with an infinitely loving God, which is why most likely uh, you hear Him more than you realize. I love the way St. Teresa of Avia puts it. Prayer is nothing else than being on terms of friendship with God. Now, you may not realize this, but we have uh, someone in the St. Augustine's community, a guy who um, in his 20s actually uh, died and, um, for about a minute and uh, was miraculously resuscitated on, um, in the emergency department using one of those, you know, those pump things, someone with a medical or a better vocab. What are they called? Yeah, yeah, we'll be able to tell me what they are. Um, 
I should have looked that up, eh, <laughs> before, before preparing. Um, yeah, but before he came back to life, uh, he literally had a conversation with God. Legit. I know you're looking at me like, I've just told you that Elvis is alive and he's walking around in the CBD. Um, but as crazy as it sounds, um, I have no reason to doubt this guy. This guy doesn't make stories like this up. And I had the um, privilege of hearing his um, story uh, a week ago in our formational community. See, sometimes God grabs us by the scruffs of our necks in an undeniable way. But mostly, I think God speaks in an overly ordinary, still, small whisper. Because God is after our attention, not just our ears. And this story we've just heard read, I think provides a frame for how you can expect God to speak to you. And in particular, how God speaks right in the midst of our everyday conversations. And what I find interesting about uh, these two who are wandering uh, along on the road, it's more like what they aren't doing, right? It's they aren't uh, in a prayer meeting. Love me a good prayer meeting. They aren't at church on Sunday. Love me a good Sunday gathering. They aren't at a worship night. Love me a good worship night. Had one during the week. It was awesome. Uh, they weren't even studying the Torah. And I wish I could say I love studying the Torah. Uh, what were they doing? They were walking and talking, just wandering home not doing anything particularly churchy, particularly religious. They were walking the 11 kilometers or so home to Emmaus following a pretty devastating uh, Passover weekend where their hopes had been completely upended. They were discussing everything that kind of surrounded the passion and the death of Jesus. Disillusioned, they were mourning the death of their dreams. And in so many ways, I think that we, we can really identify, actually, with these, these two walking through life at all our own various stages of our journey, our walk. At times, we feel the disillusionment of our dreams coming to dead ends. At times, we lose heart when our hopes are upended. At times, our frustrations, they seem to boil over as we face up to our deep disappointments. But uh, as Charles Spurgeon puts it, when two saints are, are talking together, Jesus is very likely to come and make the third one in the company. Talk of him, and you will soon talk with him. See, it's into our, uh, our everyday, our earthy circumstances and conversations that the covert Christ seems to love to sidle up alongside, join in, and begin speaking. Or maybe put another way, we can expect, and we should expect, to hear God in our conversations with others. Now, about a month and a half ago, I was in an email conversation with uh, the wonderful Liz Cable, who's sitting down here in uh, the second row. We were emailing about something related to um, the North Shore Formational Community, which she and her husband, uh, uh, Steve, lead together. And uh, we were about four emails deep, um, backwards and forth, and suddenly, um, in, at the end of her very next email, she writes this. As I'm writing this, I have stopped to pray for you and feel the Lord wants to encourage you in the area of your writing. Book? Songs? Not sure. And is there a conference coming up that you are thinking about? Anyway, these two things, writing, conference, 
Anyway, be encouraged for all that you do. What a lovely email, right? Lovely email to have received. Thank you, Liz. And, um, <clears throat> uh, but as I read those words, um, it re- it, I was kind of a bit jaw on the floor, actually. Um, this really um, struck a chord with me because uh, those who know me, in a former life, I was well into conferences, been to lots of conferences, would even um, create my own conferences, um, um, that kind of thing. But um, to tell you the truth, the last wee while, I haven't really been into conferences. I don't know if anyone else has been into conferences the last wee while. It's been a while since I've thought about a conference. Um, But unbeknownst to Liz, um, about a week before she sent that email, um, a particular conference had come on my radar, and amazingly, um, some finances had been offered to make the whole thing uh, possible by someone at, at St. Augustine's, another story for another time. Um, and I was really, I was kind of weighing it up, because uh, for me, it was like, it's quite a big deal. It's not in New Zealand, it was in the US, it's in, um, in Portland and Oregon. Got a young family, it's time away from the family, all of those things, quite a big call um, to make. And uh, I can certainly say that um, Liz's email was a huge encouragement to me to actually uh, push through and, um, and explore and pursue uh, this idea. Now, I know in many ways this is a really small thing, right? This is kind of just Andy talking about a conference. But man, as I've reflected on, I think just the courage of Liz to hit send on that email, uh, I actually, there's a real excitement building in me for what God might want to do here. So I thought it would be quite fun to, to invite Liz up this morning to hear her side of the story, um, to see um, what she, uh, yeah, you've kind of heard me say, Why don't, Liz, would you be up for coming? So um, many of you will know uh, Liz, uh, whether it's in person or part of the formational community, or um, maybe she teaches your kids in Kākāpō many weeks of the, the year. Um, but firstly, Liz, thanks for agreeing to do this. Um, And as we spoke before, I'm happy to hold the mic for you. Um, But I've had a chance to share my side of the story, and I think it would be great to hear your side of the story in terms of what was it that um, maybe prompted you to firstly pause and pray for me as you're kind of mid-typing, and then then what what was it there that gave you the courage to actually hit send? Is this like normal for you? Do you do this sort of stuff all the time? First of all, I want to say, parents, you're doing a great job with your kids. I just love being in Sunday school with them. So, <clears throat> excuse me, be encouraged. Uh, yeah, so here I am typing away, and Andy's a leader here, and, you know, the Lord wants us to pray for our leaders. They, they carry a lot, and they carry a vision. And so I literally was that. I'm typing away, and then I stopped, and I said, Lord, have you got a word for him? Is there something that you'd like me to say and pass on? Now, here's the thing. Our minds are really busy places. But God, I mean, the psalmist says in Psalm 139, you know, that the thoughts toward us are vast. They're like, if we were to count them, they're like the sands on the sea. And so I know that God's always thinking about us. So I sit quietly. Now, my mind is teeming. You've probably been there. I'm probably just describing things. But I think that when God wants to highlight something, he highlights it. There's suddenly a thought, and it just seems to be bold and bold more than any other thought. And so the writing came to me, and I know Andy writes songs. And then this word conference just popped out of nowhere, and I went, whoa, okay. And, and so this is the start of the conversation with the Lord. 
So what, I say? Anything more? Is Andy to take a conference? Is he writing something for a conference? Is someone going to invite him for a conference? And so that's the conversation I, around if I have a word for someone and, and the Lord will give me something more or not. And it's always, if it's not, and you're just left with a couple of words, then, then that's right. Do I pass it on or do I just pray about it? And the safer thing is always just to pray about it eh? because then it's just quiet. No one knows about it. But, you know... <laughs> Faith is spelt R-I-S-K, and um, sometimes you've got to step out, and, I, and always with that, it's the feeling of, you know, the fear of man is right there, isn't it? That they'll think you're stupid, or you could be wrong, and here's the thing, it's okay to be wrong. It is all, it's fine to be wrong, because then you learn that that wasn't what the Lord was saying, so then you learn how to listen more closely so you can hear what it is. But if we're not willing to go forward, we get stuck. So anyway, that's, that's the story. So awesome. So awesome. And I, I love the way that you kind of presented it. It wasn't like, gosh, the Lord is saying, the Lord has revealed to me that you are to do this or whatever. It was kind of couched in that. Just wondering. It's kind of like you, you're kind of, you're almost like just playing with it. That's cowardly, isn't it, really? Just... No, 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 it's not. I love it. Uh, well, sometimes I do say it a bit more powerfully, but... Andy wasn't standing there next to me. I mean, if I was praying for him and I had that word, you know, I'd start with that word. And the thing is, God would add more flow um, or not. And so we've got to learn when to go with the flow because sometimes we only get a couple of words, but God will add more or not. And then we've got to be careful that we don't end up in the flesh and start saying all the things we, we think might sound good. Um, so there you go. It is a process of learning. Can I just say, I'm not an expert, but, but I do expect God to speak. I do expect him to speak. And so that's it. <clears throat> so I do have a word, you want? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and we were um, chatting just before the service, and um, as you've been praying for the service, you felt like there was a particular thing that you wanted to share with the room. Yeah, this is when I start to shake, so that's why Andy's holding the microphone. Um, disappointment. I think the Lord today wants to speak to some people here about disappointment. Now, we're human. We all get disappointed. That's not a, that's, that's human. But where the disappointment becomes a kind of block in your spirit so that your relationship with God just is colored by disappointment, then the Lord needs to speak to you today and release you from that disappointment because that dis I'm just speaking to someone the, if that disappointment has become a defining point of your relationship with the Lord you need to get that sorted out and there'll be folk here today who'll pray for you or just find someone to pray for you and particularly those who've been disappointed who've asked God for gifts of the spirit you know the the, the declaration gifts like prophecy and word of knowledge and tongues and if you've been disappointed and you've got stuck in that, the Lord wants you to go forward. Small anecdote, many years ago, I prayed for the gift of tongues. I got, you won't believe this, Andy, I got the words of a song, Shalom, Shalom, Shalom HaMashiach, okay? And I went, because I've, I'm intellectually handicapped, I've been to university, I, um, I thought, no, 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 that's just a song. That's just a song. And I dismissed it. And every time I prayed, <laughs> I got the words of the song. And I kept going, oh, no, that's just me. I'm in the way. I'm in the way. And then it got so bad, I just left it. 
I just said, no, nah, it's all right, Lord. I, I can still love you and minister to people and have words of prophecy. But, you know, eight years later, I got some people to pray for me and um, they didn't speak in tongues, but they were leaders of a church and they prayed for me. And on the way home, what do I get? The song. And then I think, oh, I've had the spirit of stupid for eight years. <laughs> Why didn't I understand that that was the gateway or the doorway? I'm getting all dry. So I thought, that's it. I'm fed up with that last eight years. I'm just going to go for it. And I just started to sing that song and sing it and sing it and sing it. And the best place was the car because I didn't have to think about what was going on in my head. And I sang it and sang it and sang it. And what happened? Well, words came. And eventually it stopped being a singing thing and more a speaking thing. And so there you go. I didn't know I was going to say that today. Sorry. Thank you so much, Liz. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Any, come back anytime. Um, but that's great, isn't it? And it would be, would be great if that, if that kind of word around disappointment kind of kind of sits with you and kind of hits you, then we'd love to um, create a space to pray for pray with you um, at the end. I think that's so on point thinking about <laughs> these travellers and what they experienced um, over that weekend um, in this road to Emmaus. So returning to these, these travellers, I find it um, rather troubling with this. One of the things which I think is troubling about this story is that they were, they were literally speaking with the risen Jesus, like face to face, for probably about three hours, and yet somehow um, they just didn't recognize him. They just didn't, they didn't get it. And perhaps even more strangely, um, Jesus seemed to be actually pretty relaxed, pretty calm about remaining undercover, right? It's kind of this interesting dynamic going on as we read through it. And what becomes, I think, painfully obvious through the story is that uh, God doesn't seem to want to compete for our attention. He is happy to guide, but never override. He is the covert Christ. And like the couple on the road, I think that we have, um, maybe there's a, there's a couple of primary reasons that we often uh, miss him as well. Uh, and this is just my working theory, so you may disagree, but here we go. Firstly, I think that often we're just not really um, alert to his voice. And Liz touched on it. It's just like there's an expectancy when Liz is talking that's like, oh, God is always speaking. God is speaking. And there's kind of an alertness um, to it. And by that, I mean, yeah, we don't really expect him to be speaking just in the middle and the muddle of just everyday um, life. Jesus literally kind of cracked open the Bible, had a Bible study with them while they're walking to Emmaus, showing how everything through scriptures pointed uh, to him. It was there in ink um, all along. Ink they would have heard read over and over again, but they simply weren't alert to it. They weren't like awake to it. <clears throat> and this, I think, is a big problem for us. We live in what's been described as an attention economy where billion-dollar companies are vying for our attention in an expensive effort to keep us focused on their thing. Check this out from uh, Herbert Simon, who is the social scientist um, credited with um, this, this, this theory. In an information-rich world, the wealth of information means a scarcity of whatever it, it is that information consumes. What information consumes is rather obvious. It consumes the attention of its recipients. 
Hence, a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention and a need to allocate that attention efficiently among the overbearance of information, or sorry, overabundance of information sources that might consume it. See, these guys know that attention is the beginning of adoration. Over the past uh, month or so, I don't know if there's others in the room who are like this, but I've been tuning in a bit more uh, than normal to the Sky Sport um, app on my phone, I'm trying to follow the Kiwis at the, um, at the Commonwealth Games over in Birmingham, doing really well. And uh, after, yeah, after nearly a month of trying to keep up, thankfully there's some highlights packages that kind of crunched it, I wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise. Um, but suddenly I spotted this new event uh, being promoted, the beginning of the new English Premier League season. So literally last weekend, I had like 10 must-see matches just fall into my pocket, ready to be watched. Um, I think we all kind of know what we're talking about, right? There's this kind of tug, there's this pull. Most people in the room probably won't be sport. Um, that was me in a past life. Um, but uh, we've, we've sensed it, don't we? We feel it. We, we kind of, I think we know what we're talking about. And um, it turns out that our attention is actually really valuable. Uh, but Jesus, he refuses to play this game. He simply won't compete for your attention. And if we're working on the premise, as Liz alluded to, that God is speaking and is sometimes silent, but he's speaking. It's like he's quietly and consistently messaging us. The question is, are we living with our alerts set to on or are they set to off? Are we living, it's like, are we living in focus mode? You know how you can put your phone in focus mode now where it's like everything's kind of shut down and it's like, are we living in that focus mode uh, and maybe we've got like a do not disturb sign kind of above our heads just so that we can get through, right? See, I, my, again, my working theory is that we would probably all prefer to die, have the conversation with God and then come back to life right? And just carry on. That's how we want it. That's the way we wish it was. But really, uh, God wants to speak with us uh, in a different way, in a quiet way, in a more subtle way, in a way um, that where we are asked basically to be alert to thoughts and ideas which he is raising and bringing to the surface of our minds. And then when we add like the oxygen of our attention uh, these thoughts and ideas begin to burn um, in our hearts. And this is the way that God uses our thoughts, He uses our mind, He uses our imagination uh, to speak to us. And I wasn't going to say this, but it probably raises the, a big question as to um, which thoughts are ours and which thoughts are kind of God's. Um, and thankfully, Newt's going to unpack that for us next week. Um, so, um, <clears throat> But the problem, I think the problem with wanting to... Um, the wanting to um, wanting that external voice, that kind of ex- that undeniable experience, uh, which I think feel we feel will give us a sense of um, certainty and safety, is that it's kind of like that's done to us, right? That's just done to us, and if that's uh, our, if that's what we live on, um, then eventually um, that will just stunt our growth. And the reason um, God prefers to whisper to us rather than shout at us, is because he respects the friendship that he's invited us into. So then, uh, the second of my two reasons uh, that I think we often aren't alert to this kind of whisper is because we are just 
a bit fearful, we're a bit afraid that we're going to be asked to do something that we simply uh, don't want to do. Anyone? Does anyone sense that? Um, earlier this week, I had um, I heard these three words, or not three words, these words from my three-year-old um, daughter, Lily, um, what, uh, early one morning, a request I might add is uh, potent enough to strike fear into the heart of any middle-aged white man. Um, she said, Mummy, can you put some music on so Daddy can dance? <laughs> my ears pricked up, my spine stiffened, my heart began to race. Did Mummy hear that outrageous request? I wasn't going to repeat it. Um, I hope not. Uh, but then it came again, and a little bit more forceful this time, a little bit more direct. Mummy, put some music on so Daddy can dance. <clears throat> and so it was. The music came on. Don't worry, I'm not going to dance. The music came on. I looked into Lily's eyes, twinkling. She knew she had stitched me up. Um, and uh, the only option really was to let the rhythm take over, take full control, right? <clears throat> now, my little caveat at this point is, uh, of course, I love to move it, move it with my girls when we're together in the lounge. It's because we're together. We're busting moves together in the lounge. You know how it goes. We're together. Um, but when it's like, when it's like, in front, dance in front of me, dance for me, and especially with your mother also um, in the room. It's just not what I wanted to hear at 7.30 in the morning. <clears throat> and I think it's the same in our conversations and our relationship with God. We fear that he is basically answering us to dance in front of people. But because of that, we, uh, we just tend to bury ourselves uh, in our work, we tend to surround ourselves with distractions, entertainment. We fill our lives with noise just to drown out that kind of still, small voice. But in my experience, my limited experience, uh, when we hear his still, small voice, remember he whispers to his friends, shouts at his enemies, whispers to his friends. The, we know he is close. That's the first thing. He whispers, we know he's close. And... Um, and Sorry, and, and we are reminded um, that we are, not only are we noticed, but we are loved. It's like we are felt. And uh, it's, it's like this, I think, with my girls as well, with Lily and Ada. Um, the baseline is that they, uh, whatever they do, whatever they get up to, they are never outside of my love for them. And I just so desperately, I want them to know that I love them. And again, it's the same, same with us. With all this kind of, this talk of like learning to hear God's voice and learning to respond just to his quiet promptings. Um, it's all in this context of um, the never exhausted overtures of love of our God. And that's really the heart of our conversational friendship. It's, it's yes, he's sharing information, but really he's sharing his heart with us. And so the question is, will we allow ourselves uh, to be loved? So the question is, how do we uh, switch our alerts to on so that we are able to be loved over and over again by God? Again, uh, returning to our pilgrims, uh, when they arrive at their home, I don't know if you noticed, but Jesus looks like Jesus is going to continue on his journey and carry on wherever he is going. Um, but... Uh, until that point where the disciples actually invite them, him to come and stay with them. And here's the thing. 
Uh, Jesus is always uh, looking to be invited. He waits to be invited. He's looking for hearts and lives that are wanting to show him hospitality. And then we arrive at probably the, perhaps the most famous part of this particular passage, this, the bit where the bread is broken and the lights come on for the couple and they finally uh, recognize Jesus. Perhaps this is me just musing, but perhaps they notice his pierced hands as he gives them uh, the bread. But the words used uh, by Luke to describe Jesus' actions with the bread, uh, we can see them highlighted here. He took bread, he gave thanks, or he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it uh, to them. They are this deliberate echo back to the Passover, just nights before, where Jesus was gathered with his very closest friends in an upper room to eat and drink together. It was like Jesus was there with his formational community. And these very same words, took, blessed, broke, gave, they also uh, are pointing forward, they're foreshadowing the church's regular practice and habit of breaking bread together, celebrating the life, the death, the resurrection, and now a presence of Jesus. See, this encounter on the road to Emmaus is a complete uh, reversal of God walking and talking with Adam and Eve in Eden. See, their eyes, their eyes were opened to sin as they ate from the fruit, choosing autonomy over relationship, over friendship. But today, we've seen God walking and talking uh, with another couple in the cool of the day whose eyes were opened to Jesus in the breaking of bread. He has restored their relationship. And though now suddenly invisible to them, he is still present with them and he's burning in their hearts. He, he now has their attention. And once he has our attention, the question is, will we pour the oxygen of our attention on his whisper so that our hearts begin to burn? Last Sunday uh, morning, I was driving to church down uh, New North Road, the King, uh, got to the Kingsland intersection, you know, King, uh, New North Road and Bond Street. And I looked across um, at one of those digital billboards and it, it caught my attention. The, the ad was for uh, Seville's, you know, the hair salons like, around um, the city. And they were advertising their academy. And the tagline was, training the next generation of, this is just a mock-up by the way, this isn't, isn't actually the, the thing. So training the next generation of hairdressers, barbers, and makeup artists. And again, a bit like Liz's email, those words just like, just kind of got inside me, they, they hit me. I know that sounds very strange. Um, I mean, it's not because it's time for, I mean, it's time for a haircut, but it wasn't to go get a haircut. Um, it wasn't um, because I feel, feel called to makeup artistry. That would be like God asking me to dance in front of you. Um, no, it's because I know and I've been sensing for a while and over a period of time that um, God is calling me to do something to train the next generation of Jesus followers. And strange as that sounds, I know that sounds really strange, but um, that is what excites me. That's what makes me come alive and in that just tiny moment, that little split second before the lights changed where I, I kind of caught those little words, um, I experienced something of the love of God for me, saying, uh, 
I haven't forgotten. Yeah, there's still work to do. Let's do it together. That's essentially what he was saying to me. And I tell you what, that is what I needed to hear in that moment, that split second. And so in sharing that with you uh, today, basically what I'm trying to do is give that little whisper, that little, you know, that little nudge, that kind of little prompting, um, that flicker of a burning heart, some oxygen. That's what I'm trying to do by sharing that with you um, this morning. Um, let's stand together. In a moment, Newt's going to come and lead us um, in communion. Um, but as we stand, I'm just asking you to do whatever you can to like, switch your alert mode, um, your tab or whatever you call it, to green. And Jesus in the Gospels, he said uh, these particular words no less than 15 times. He said, if you have ears to hear, if you have ears to hear. So yeah, let's be asking God to speak in dramatic kind of life and death kind of ways. But let's also be alert to um, the quieter, more subtle, more nuanced, more intimate way that God chooses to speak with his children. Especially in times like this, especially in times where we come to sing, we come into worship, we come into break uh, bread. This is where our hearts, our minds, our ears are. It's like they're resensitized, it's like they are tuned. And as we do this together, this is what we're doing. We're just giving some oxygen to his still small voice so that our hearts might begin to burn.